Welcome to Feeding the Family with Dr. Kristen, where we help you navigate the challenges of feeding your family and learn about the role food plays in our health and relationships. Feeding and food relationships can be stressful, confusing, and even destructive. I'm Kristen Saxena, a pediatrician and mother of four, who's been researching and sharing what I've learned about feeding for over 10 years. In this podcast, I'll share my experience and expertise to help our kids and ourselves with everyday survival tips for real parents. This podcast is about progress, not perfection. So let's get started. Welcome back to Feeding the Family with Dr. Kristen. I'm your host, Kristen Saxena. If you're enjoying our episodes, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We come out with new episodes every week. I'm very excited about today's episode. This one is for the adults, the parents, and how important it is to take care of ourselves. We're going to be talking a little bit about the difference between a diet and what is a true sustainable lifestyle change and the importance of making sure we're focusing on those lifestyle changes. We're also going to talk about mindfulness and meditation as well as mental health and exercise. We're going to be joined by our guest today, Dr. Molly Lupo. She is a nurse practitioner who integrates lifestyle medicine and health and wellness coaching into her practice. Welcome to the show, Molly. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited. So I actually met you kind of through a mutual friend. Yes. Um, But when we started chatting, I felt like we could be fast friends. Yes. So I'm so excited to have met you. So you, um, you're a nurse practitioner. Correct. But you have gotten into health and wellness coaching, nutrition coaching, and kind of lifestyle medicine. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Can you kind of guide us through your journey of how you got here? Yes. Do you want the short version? You you tell me. Okay. So. I ain't going nowhere. (laughs) So I, uh, my background is actually in oncology. And I worked in oncology for like 10, 12 years. Um, After I graduated with my master's, I went down to Houston and did a fellowship at MD Anderson. Um, And I really loved oncology, but like every single patient who was coming through our door kept asking us like, well, now I have been like struck with this like life-threatening diagnosis. How can I be healthy? Mm-hmm. And we were like, well, you should eat well and you should exercise, but we have to see a million patients, you know, so yeah. we'll see you next week. Go do those things, you know? Um, and so, I mean, and it's just the way the system's built, right? Like mm-hmm. this is how it is. So, um, but sort of slowly over time, I got into like nutrition and like what really drives people. i I'm very curious about like behavior change. So I love like learning about that. Um, And then just sort of through my journey and path, I ended up opening my own practice last October where, you know, we call it Lupo Preventative Medicine. And the reason being is, is like, I want people (laughs) to know the things that they need to do, but Mm -hmm. I also want to partner with them in a way where it feels doable for them to actually go out and do the thing so Mm -hmm. like instead of you know just saying like oh american college of sports medicine recommends 150 minutes of exercise every week like you have to know where they're at right now if they're at zero minutes you don't start with 150 you know um so it's just to me it's just so important to partner with them and to ask them like what is it that you think you can actually do Mm -hmm. and then to go from there so and so I have to admit, so like lifestyle medicine is kind of like the category that all of this falls into, yeah. right? And 
I mean, I went to medical school and residency, and I don't really remember this as like a distinct category. Yeah, it's not. So, so I'm like, I'm a doctor. What? <laughs> what is this? Yeah, I don't know how old American College of Lifestyle Medicine is, but like that was sort of my first, I think, like taste of like, oh yeah, of course, like this is totally what I want because they're pillars of lifestyle medicine are nutrition sleep exercise stress management avoiding risky substances um and then like social connections and like all the things that would keep you from needing hopefully like most of the specialists yeah and what i find is is like one like we have a lot of room to go from where we currently are at you know in america versus like all the things that we could do before we put someone on a medication so right um, you know, like I have one patient who she came to me and her A1C was like 6.5. So she was like diabetic or whatever. Yeah. Um, and all we did was focus on fruits, vegetables, protein targets, movement, and some mindfulness techniques. And she lost like 30 pounds in five months and her A1C went down to like 5.7, which, you know, is still not quite where I want it, but. Well, but it's going the right direction with no medication. With no medications. So, I mean, I think that that just like brought a lot of stuff to mind because I think that as in medicine, so as doctors, nurse practitioners, in large, I think the training is find problem, fix problem. Yeah. Not so much. I mean, we, we get some training and we kind of give lip service to the prevention of problems, Um, But even that is usually like, I will prevent you from having worse problems by putting you on XYZ medication, right? Um, And I just don't think that in general, like traditional medical practices, unfortunately, are set up to do the kind of lifestyle medicine or prevention that we're talking about. Yeah. So can you kind of guide us through, obviously you saw this. Yeah. Um, so in what ways then have you changed your practice or sort of the structure of your visits? Yeah. Um, to so, accommodate this. Yeah. So, you know, and I'm sure that you experience this as a pediatrician, but like you would turn through like 20, 25 patients a day. Mm-hmm. So if you do the math, like you don't get a lot of time to sit with them. And so I guess that's one of the things that has really like shifted in my own practice is that like all of my new patients get an hour and a half. All of my follow-ups get anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour. Mm -hmm. And the reason being is because I want them to feel seen and heard. I don't want them to feel dismissed. I don't want that experience of the 15, 10 minute visit that's like in and out are you doing okay? Okay, great. I'll see you in three months. You know, I want them to feel like really like nurtured and taken care of. And so, you know, for me that, I guess, I mean, certainly I could, you know, stack the schedule, Mm -hmm. but I just don't want to. Yeah. It's like not what brings meaning to me. Totally. Well, and I totally understood that too, because actually as I feel like I was late to the party of learning what lifestyle (laughs) medicine was. Um, It's kind of like this little best kept secret, I feel like, because it's been out there as I got into it. I'm like, this isn't new, but it's not mainstream maybe, but getting more attention. Yeah. I feel like that's what people want. It's just a matter of, and you know, insurance is like, it is what it is, but it kind of dictates the care that you give. And then when you get in a big system, you know, you just turn people through as fast as well, you can. Well, you don't can. have a choice. Yeah. 
I mean, for a lot of yeah clinicians, I right. guess. And I mean, I, I want to bring that point up too, is it's like, I don't blame people in medicine because I think right. this is this is the system. Yes, exactly. And there, you know, a lot of it is a little bit powerless to it. Because as I as I looked at lifestyle medicine, I was kind of like, well, that's sort of the heart of pediatrics. I mean, again, it doesn't always play out yeah. exactly that way. But you know, we're talking about preventative me- medicine. We talk about basic things yeah. like you know eating and yeah. sleeping and all those things. Um, and I do think as as you age through the system, it, you move away from that a yeah. little bit. But even then, like I was fortunate enough, like in my practice, I did have some leeway to, you know, say I would like to have longer appointments sure. with new patients and follow ups. But certainly it was at a cost to yeah. me. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're, that's they're like, that's fine, but you will make less money. Yeah. So that's a yeah. choice that people are making for their families. And that's even being in a system where you were given that choice. And I yeah. know for a fact that a lot of places it's like, well, if you aren't seeing yeah. the. 25 yeah. plus patients a day maybe this isn't for you yeah. um and so I think that yeah and it's I tell cool people, that you can create this new yeah system and I tell people all the time it's like well it's not really like any fault of any provider mm-hmm. out there like they got into it for the same reasons mm-hmm. that any of us got into it, and that was to help people but we didn't know what the system really looked like until we were in it you know totally um and so yeah for a lot of people they sort of feel like their hands are tied or you know things are strung to rbus or whatever it is um and i'm still sort of building my practice so i'm not exactly sure what this will look like but like to me it's just so important to be able to deliver like meaningful care where people feel taken care of and if that means that i make less money but you know the bills still get paid then i don't really care about you right. know, the rest of it because that i mean i totally understand because i think like you said that's this is the heart of why most people go into it yeah and i think why there's a lot of burnout because you start yes. to feel like you're churning through and you're not really getting there's no from like, it what you wanted to of anything that yeah. like happened that day like i worked mm-hmm. in on or i worked when when I worked in oncology, um, I had started sort of this, what do we call it? Like mindfulness and medicine, I think. Yeah. So we had like this every other week group where we would sit and like process through the really tough cases that happened. But like no one is like sitting down and doing that. And, you know, like people would cry and it would be like very emotional because we are still human beings mm-hmm. like at the core of it. You mm-hmm. know? Well, I mean, I think that's a point, too, is that like the survival mechanisms that you need going yeah. through um a career in medicine is so I mean I feel like I I was sort of late to the party again I'm late to a lot of parties <laughs> I'm actually a very punctual person these are all pretend parties pretend parties <laughs> but I'm starting to realize maybe I'm late to a lot of things um but I feel like only now did I well and I'm still working on this and so I yeah. want to talk to you about this a lot mindfulness I actually felt like Part of the reason that maybe a lot of people in medicine have difficulty with that is part of the survival is this sort of separation that you have to do mm-hmm. to kind of psychologically and emotionally survive when you're going through, I mean, what are really traumatic yeah. scenarios with patients and families and things like that. And so I actually got to the place where I was like, I feel like I'm a little bit like cold and dead yeah. inside because you have to be with these people through these horrible Mm -hmm. situations and then you have to move into the next room and just take care of the next guy and I mean pretend like that traumatic event didn't just like happen exactly like we weren't in a code next door 
yeah i'll go get you know your ice that you need it yeah exactly (laughs) or whatever so um so you have kind of like four the four m's with molly right so you want to walk us through the four m's i think that that's a good place to start so um the four m's was kind of born out of my own sort of framework that i was like done with like diets I was just like done with like everything but it was really like pushing or like digging into like what is it that actually like makes me feel good every day because it's not some magic number on the scale that happens one day like everyone thinks that like their life's going to be magically different they're not going to have hardships you know all the Mm -hmm. things um but they're all still going to be there and so what I sort of discovered was um the first M is macros or like macronutrients so and you don't have to like go all in but like you know focusing on whole foods of protein fiber fruits and vegetables at every meal and then sort of you know like picking and choosing when you really wanted to have like the thing that you really enjoy or love like I'm a dessert person like I I could pass on the red wine all day Mm -hmm. but like I I would like my dessert so you know using things like mindfulness where you really slow down and you use your senses to like really taste the food and you know, be there and really be present with it versus just like mindlessly eating Mm -hmm. that changes your experience. And then meditation was born out of that because, um, it was like sort of this daily practice that I started cultivating. And it was like, Oh, when I do this, this helps me when I get into those like stressful moments of like triggers or whatever to slow down and see like, okay, what, what are my thoughts? And then actually questioning those thoughts. Like, are they actually true? Most of the time they're not true. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, sort of using meditation as a tool of like groundedness every Mm -hmm. day. And then the fourth M is movement. And that's like, I need to move my body every day. Like I'm just like more naturally like an anxious person. Mm -hmm. So part of like dispelling that energy is like moving and whether it's like a walk or, Um, being on my bike or running like I don't care what it is but like that helps me feel better throughout throughout the day so Mm -hmm. those are the four m's very briefly Um, well I love it because you work mostly with moms right yes okay and I feel like and I've talked about this actually in another podcast but a lot of times like early earlier in life I feel like I was always looking for this like secret recipe like this is the perfect diet this is the perfect exercise regimen this is all the things I need to do and then kind of like you said like then life will be perfect right and so and also I had my cousin on who um had bariatric surgery Mm -hmm. and she went through binge eating and she kind Uh of talked about the same thing it was like always if I got to this perfect number on the scale then life would be yeah. great. Well, it turns yeah. out if you didn't actually address like all of the issues that right. you were having that were yes. just kind of culminating yes. in some of these behaviors, yes. things don't really change Correct. that much, no matter what the number Correct. on the scale is yep. or whatever. Um, so I kind of love the idea, and I think that's true in a lot of things in life anymore as I look at it. It's actually just like the simple things are true. Yes. And so I think kind of like you said, just sort of like this general idea about nutrition rather than here's mm-hmm. the diet and the calories and and I do want to go more into that because I think with macros you can go one way or the other because yeah. there are ways to like really fall into that yeah. and um, I don't think it ends up that much different than yeah. calorie counting yeah. or measuring your foods yeah. and all of those things but 
Um, and then just those things like what's making me actually feel good. And then it sounds like in your practice, I mean, you're able to see it play out in real life in multiple people's lives that when you kind of get those basics under control, the other things start to fall into place or at least Mm -hmm. become a lot easier Mm -hmm. to manage. Yeah. And it's always sort of to me about like, okay, so like that's my framework, but it doesn't have to be yours Mm -hmm. or the next person's, you know, like you get to pick what it is that makes you feel good today. And for some people, they've never even like slowed down to think like, what is it that makes Mm -hmm. me feel good today? Because all this time I've been thinking like I have to get to this magic number and I'll do anything I need to to get there, you know? So, you know, whether it's journaling, whether it's like affirmations, like maybe it's going to therapy, like I don't care what it is, but like it is like a path of self-discovery to figure out what it is that empowers you, that makes you feel like that you are living sort of your values and that you are aligned. Totally. So let's talk about the macros because I think, you know, again, like earlier days when I was always, I've always been interested. It's like kind of a slippery slope to be interested in health and nutrition because you can get like sort of rabbit holed and then like, well, if some is good, then lots is better. Um, so there was definitely a point where I was super interested in macros, but kind of like anyone else, I don't really like diets just don't work for, I don't think anyone, no matter what your goals are or what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. They have like a 95% like fail rate. Yeah. Cause they make no sense in real life. Yeah. So, but there was a time when I was super interested in that. And so it was like, you know, they have all the apps for that and like put in your food and now you've got whatever. And I mean, I could never figure that out. And so I would just throw it away like okay well apparently like I can only eat like I don't even know turkey for the rest of the day I'm done yeah like I don't want to do that yeah so walk me through kind of how you but I can see a value to it sure at a macro level yeah so can you can you walk us through how you counsel like your patients on that so um there's actually a dietitian out of I think she's on the East Coast, but she read um, like an evidence-based article that came out and they were looking at like all-cause mortality, chronic disease, all of those things. And they were like, who of like people who had cancer, heart disease, you know, like all the chronic conditions, what were they doing for the people who had less of this? And Mm -hmm. they were eating between 600 and 800 grams of fruits and vegetables a day. So she came up with sort of this 800 gram challenge where you eat 800 grams of fruits and vegetables or some other things that count. Um, but what does that look like in real life? Like six to eight cups. Right. And like Mm -hmm. none of us are eating six to eight cups unless you're very intentional about that. Right. So that's sort of like her first pillar. And then the second one is focusing on protein, making sure you're getting enough protein, Mm -hmm. which uh, Um, traditionally I would say lots of women in particular think they're getting more protein maybe than they are. Yeah, and there's, like, different recommenda- recommendations between, um, like, the RDA and the IOM and all that. But um, but basically, she uses those two pillars as sort of, like, your framework for, for quality in the diet, right? Mm-hmm. Because if I just told you, like, go eat this many calories, you could fill that up with whatever you wanted. Right. And so I love that idea because it's not super, like, stringent. It's, like, adding things versus restricting them. And then you Which see... Which I'm a huge fan of. <laughs> And then you see, like, what you have left over for, like, sort of this other category. Mm-hmm. Um, so I used to sort of, you know, like, do the macros on a very granular level. I find moms, like, it's just, it is really hard to, like, Tetris that stuff. Right. Down. Well, the end Plus of the day is always or five stupid, grand. right? Yeah, like, you yeah. get to the end, you're like, I'm not eating that. You, you, like- <laughs> you get to the end of the day, and you're like, 
well, I just ate dinner, but I need 30 more grams of protein. So I guess I'll eat this deli meat. No, like that was, that was, <laughs> that was the moment that, that I was like, I can't keep doing this. Yeah. And so now I just focus more on like adequate protein, adequate fiber. And then like whatever else I like, I made a big batch of, um, ground turkey soup with like a bunch of vegetables this weekend. And I had Doritos like crunched on the side, you know, because yep. life is about balance. And if you're not going to enjoy it, then you're not going to do this plan for the rest of your life. And right. you want to find a way to eat that is sustainable for the rest of your life not for two weeks and, and I then think go off the handle that's a huge takeaway is it's like all these are great but if they're yeah. not sustainable yeah. they're kind of point like all you've done is sort of tortured yourself for yes. a couple of weeks and most of us you know it's anything you restrict yeah you know, I that's heard, gonna be exactly what you're going for yeah I once heard a quote that was like the amount that you restrict is equal to the amount that you like binge Oh. And I was like, yeah, that's so, sm-. you know, like think about everyone who like white knuckles it through the week and they're, and they're like, oh, I stayed on my plan. I did. And then what happens as soon as Friday night, Saturday and Sunday, like they just go off the grid and right. then they are like, I can't figure out why I'm in this plateau. And it's like, well, you're not in a plateau. You took yourself out of it every single weekend. And so it's finding a way to enjoy the foods that you really love in a sustainable way. That's not like too far overboard, too far restricting. I think that's like the key is to, like figure out what your like moderate approach looks like. Mm-hmm. So you have done a lot of work with like binge eating mm-hmm. or binge eating disorder. Yeah. So, and I always think, you know, back traditionally, I think you say eating disorder, people think like anorexia, bulimia, yeah. but binge eating disorder is probably the most common prevalent eating disorder like there it. is. It I, would like think. It. I, I don't know the statistics on it, but it, but it definitely feels like it. Well, because I almost think Maybe not, you know, I don't know that anyone would qualify, everyone would qualify for a diagnosis, but that eating pattern is so prevalent and yeah, It's really like a normalized. subclinical group of a lot of people, I would say, who like maybe don't qualify for the diagnosis, mm-hmm. but like they have like some disordered eating patterns, you know? Mm-hmm, for sure. So can you actually talk to us about that and kind of your work with people in specifically binge eating Patterns or binge eating yeah. disorder? So, you know, with the whole situation of like the binge eating is there's like so much going on, right? Like one, they might be totally under eating so that by the time the afternoon or night rolls around, like it's physiological, like their body is like getting those calories some way, somehow. Uh, so I always tell people like, first we have to get you like one eating regular meals and two, like getting you eating enough. Like Mm -hmm. there's a big difference in calories between plant volume and say like your processed refined foods volume. Like Mm -hmm. this is like this big and your, um, unrefined, you know, whole fruits, vegetables, that sort of thing is like this big for your plate for the day, you know? So it's a lot of food, um, But that's sort of always my first step is like, let's get you eating regularly, get you eating enough, get you Mm -hmm. eating quality ingredients. And then the struggle foods. So like the foods that they tend to like binge on, it is really about like exposing them to them, but like doing it in a way that is um, very mindful. So like walking them through like and engaging like all of the senses to be like, smell it, you know, taste it, you know. Um, put it around in your mouth, you know, and it's a different experience than, than the binge. Cause the binge mm-hmm. is always like this very like frenzied, like rush energy. Like I can't, like you are not even tasting the food, you know, right. it's like this quick hit of like dopamine that like sort of relieves whatever's going on. Yep. But if you never sort of address like 
the trigger that leads to the behavior or the thoughts that are happening. That's why the meditation is so helpful. That's why mindfulness is so helpful. Yeah. Then you're just going to spin your wheels forever. And so that's why I think like doing mindfulness, you know, eating practices where you practice eating the foods that like you tend to overeat or like any of us would overeat because the food industry literally puts people in like functional brain MRI machines yeah. and they make sure that your brain, like the pleasure centers are lighting up when you're eating chips or whatever it is, you right. know? And so it's sort of like having that awareness, but going back to um, what you were talking about is like, but, but you have a choice in it. And it's like, sometimes I'll have the thing because you know, I want it and it's worth it to me at that time. But there's other times where it's like, well, I'm going to pass on that because I know it's just going to leave me like feeling like more cravy or like, I just don't want to like feel that way today. Like I want to keep my energy like more in balance, whatever, you know, and and there's nothing that's right or wrong about it. It's just like finding your middle Mm -hmm. ground. And so you had talked a little bit about something we've talked about again too is like structure Mm -hmm. so do you kind of tell people to have like structured times in their day plus minus that they eat so you know are some people I know lots of adults and younger people are like I'm not a breakfast person I mean Mm -hmm. how do you walk them through that kind of situation I'm not a huge fan of intermittent fasting but I think it's just because of like my own background my own personal you know struggles with like that sort of thing so And the whole thing with like intermittent fasting or skipping a meal is like, you're just cutting the calories. Like it's just another way to do it. And so people can still like gain weight intermittent fasting or whatever, um, if they're not in a calorie deficit. But I think a lot about, um, how those decisions, like skipping something affects them either later in the day or the next day. So Mm -hmm. like maybe they had like a crazy weekend where there's lots of like drinks or you know appetizers whatever it was and then by the time monday rolls around they're like oh i'm not as hungry well are you not as hungry because (laughs) you consumed a lot of calories this weekend and so your body's just sort of you know catching up to that or are you really not hungry and Mm so it's sort of a giant experimentation that they have to do or walk themselves through where they see like when I skip a meal, am I eating more like later into the night or that sort of thing, you know, and really sort of like coming to terms or like developing awareness around that. Because if there's not, then they just like continue to skip meals. I'm a big believer in like three balanced meals because I don't like the feeling of getting like super hungry if I do skip a meal. Um, But yeah, that's one place that I like to start. I think that that was a good point too, because I think especially initially as you're trying to kind of like get into good habits and prevent sort of maybe more of binging and restricting. I think that's an awesome, just, just stick with these structured times for eating. But I think like you said, if you get a situation where, which I think we've all been there, (laughs) like after party weekend, you know, whatever, you had lots of exciting things going on, you ate and drank and whatever. Monday morning, maybe you legit aren't hungry. And that's actually mindful because you're just listening yeah. to your body, which is like, we're cool. We yeah. have plenty here. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Maybe take a knee and wait till you're hungry. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's noticing that. Are you doing that because you're like, oh my God, I ate so much this weekend. Uh, I'm going to skip breakfast so I can exactly. cut some calories. Or is exactly. it because you're like, wow, I really, I just really don't want to eat anything exactly. right now. I'm good. Exactly. Um, and so maybe grab a little something in case you don't make it till lunch yes yes um, but yeah. like uh there was a girl a couple of weeks ago who was like well 
I had to get out of the door, you know, kids busy, whatever. And I didn't have breakfast and I got to work and they had all the Halloween candy, right? Yeah. So she was like dug in because she was like ravenous by by the time that she actually, you know, got to work. And it's like, okay, so what are things that like you could plan around this for the next time? So like if like work or not if work, if um, breakfast like didn't happen and you're walking into work and you know that situation's going to be there, yeah. then like what can you just like keep at work to have on hand for the crazy mornings where everyone wakes up late and you're like, got to get out the door. Totally. You know? Totally. Yeah. So, okay, well, speaking of breakfasts and mornings, um, I love mornings, actually. So, uh, and maybe I think part of that is being the mom. And for a lot of us, that is the time that if mom wakes up, other people sleep. Exactly. Um, and so I think I've always been a fan of mornings. So can you, you, you're kind of a proponent of the morning routine. Is that correct? Yeah, because like by by the time like five p.m. rolls around, like I'm tired. I don't really want to work out. Like, so if those things are gonna happen, but I've actually tried to like lessen or like loosen like the 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 rigidness of like oh well it has to get done in the morning. Yeah, I heard something really good the other day that was like be very um, like rigid with your goal, but be flexible with how you get there. Ooh, yeah, I like that. Yeah. So my ideal morning is like wake up, have my coffee, work out, do some journaling maybe, and then like I'm in a pretty in meditation. And then I'm in like a pretty good headspace. But like mm-hmm. sometimes that does not happen for whatever reason, right? Totally. So on those days, instead of like beating myself up, because that's like another big thing is like getting out of the beating yourself up and doing more nurturing to yourself but on those days it's like okay well what else could I do and it's like could I get out for like a 20 minute walk over lunch and the answer is usually yes and so you know it's like finding those little pockets and you know maybe it's not the full-blown morning routine but you find little things that make you feel good and then like that always like propels you to sort of like feel good and be in your body in the way that you want to be yes well I because I always feel like the morning routine is another thing. I think even looking in my life, like you can see sort of your evolution as a person or maybe just getting old. I don't really know. But I think that it goes back to like I was always like, OK, I'm going to get up. This is my time. And I think like you yeah. said, I was like very like rigid about like I have to do this workout and then, you know, I have to drink my coffee yeah and then I have to do my journaling because that's what good people do and then that you know what I mean it was like all these things so I could be like so great and then if you didn't do them you're like oh I'm such a failure and And then you throw in the towel for the rest of the week right because you're like well this week's shot maybe next week I'll wake up and be perfect again so I love so then like you said kind of as I've gotten older it's like oh maybe I should just figure out like what actually makes me feel good? And it's not that, I mean, coffee and working out, that all yeah. makes me feel good, but not when it's because I'm like, right, you know, torturing myself, yeah. telling myself this is how we will make yeah. it through the day. So, you know, I've gotten more into like, well, actually, maybe I'll just have my coffee and enjoy it instead of chugging it down so I can stay awake all day. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll just stretch because actually yeah. that's not hard and it's easy to do when you're still sleepy in the morning and then you actually feel good and it's beneficial yeah you know all these things um you know write out what am I gonna do today those kind of things and then you're like oh turned out my whole day was better because of that not because I forced myself to get up when I was exhausted and do all the things I 
thought I, I had to do. I started a morning ritual and then an afternoon ritual. Ooh. What's that? So the morning ritual is like sort of like work stuff that like needs to get done. So like, you know, getting back to patients. Um, but there's always like, like no, like this is like a firm boundary is like, there's always meditation. There's always affirmations. There is always, um, what else is in there? There's just like a couple of things I have to like check no matter what in the mornings. And then the afternoon, I mean, this only applies if you're in healthcare, but like I will actually look at all my patients for the next day and I'll go over all their labs and everything because it just sets my day up to be so much better. I'm not running totally. in there being like, who is what? To, yeah. Yeah. That's and huge. And so finding like sort of a wind down routine and then, you know, like a starting your day routine, I think is very helpful. Well, and I think that there's such like comfort and consistency in the routine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that other thing, like you said, was to be rigid about the goals, but mm -hmm. looser about how you're getting there. But I think the thing to keep in mind is, I mean, you can be less rigid with your day to day. But if you feel yourself like these are the things that are still moving me towards mm -hmm. yes. the goal, Pause, like just moving forward. That's yeah. a that's a pace, really. Yes. So. Yes. Um, Katie Milkman is a PhD sort of researcher on behavior change. And she talks a lot about a study they did where they they had two groups. And the first group was told, I believe, like they needed to work out seven days a week, no matter what. And the second group, they got the same instructions, but they said, you have to sort of like get out of jail cards where like if it happens, it's not a big deal and you still get the points. Well, who do you think, like, had a more sustainable approach? I'm going to guess the get-out-of-jail people. Correct. <laughs> and so I tell my patients that all the time is, like, you know, aim for whatever the goal is, but give yourself a couple of outs because life isn't perfect and, like, it's going to hand you mm -hmm. some lemons on some days. And so, you know, working on not, like, beating yourself up or throwing in the towel for the rest of the week just because you had this, like, one bad thing happen, you know, totally. I think is so important. I totally agree. I mean, I think that's just even it, like where you start to realize like some days where you're like, actually, my day will go a lot better if I get 30 minutes, 45 yes. minutes more sleep yes. and like not being yourself for that. Actually giving yourself credit to be like, yeah. wow, that was very insightful. Yes. You took good care of yourself today yes. and your day went a lot better than if you woke up and forced yourself to, you know, work out and yes. do all the things. And then your whole day was just you. Yeah. And also Zoned like, out. yeah. Mm -hmm. And also like celebrating, like none of us do this, but like, it is so important to like sit down or like put time aside to like celebrate like the things that, that you did like keep your word on, you know? Totally. Like I just hit the mark of being, or like having my own practice for a year. And like, normally I would have just like been like, oh yeah, it was a thing that happened, but I got to keep going. And I was like, no, we're going to like have a nice dinner. We're going to like make a big deal about this because we have to like pause and have gratitude for how far we've come or we're just on like the endless treadmill of like totally doing more being more well and I don't know too I mean that this might just be a human characteristic or maybe kind of a mom thing but I think sort of that I mean we don't stop and celebrate a lot of things it's like yeah. eh, if I did it it really wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. You know, I think we downplay it and it's like, you know, meanwhile, our kid's turning four and we act like they won the Nobel Prize. <laughs> yeah. Like we should get balloons and cake and everybody. And I'm not saying we shouldn't. Yeah. We should. I'm all about celebrate the things. But you work hard at something for a year plus. Yeah. And like start are moving towards your goals and actually like putting work into it. Yeah. This guy just stayed alive for four years. <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? exactly. And we're just like, eh, you yeah. know, just keep on the treadmill. Yeah. And so yeah. I love that idea, too, yeah. is it's like 
sometimes I think in a lot of things you have to almost remind yourself to treat yourself like you would treat your kid. Yes, you want to celebrate. Yeah, nurture yourself as you nurture your children. And I think talk about that if you don't mind a little too is what what effect do you think? Because I've always said you know taking care of yourself as a parent feels selfish sometimes, but I think that the trickle down of that is actually creating a much healthier environment for your kids. So have you had some experience with that too? Yeah. You know, it's always sort of like, oh, well, I feel like bad if I'm like, if I go out or do this or if I go for an hour run or whatever it is. But I can guarantee you every time I do those things, I come back and I'm like refreshed and I'm like Mm -hmm. ready to pour into everyone. I mean, it's like very cliche of like pour into your own cup so you can pour into everyone else's but like it's true and if Mm -hmm. you don't take care of yourself I think that's where the burnout comes in it's like you're just constantly taking care of and like you deserve to be nurtured and be taken care of just like those little human beings totally and you would totally do all those things for your kids 100% and that's what I also love about your approach to eating because I think that we're big proponents of the family meal and all being Mm -hmm. able to eat together and I do think that you know kids seeing parents on diets mm-hmm. um, at a very early age starts to really change the way that they look at their yeah. look at food and they look at themselves but the thing you know ideas of like we should eat more fruits and vegetables you know we should eat yeah. healthy proteins those are like universal yeah. so it's very easy to make you know turkey vegetable soup and say this is a very appropriate yeah. meal for all of us yeah mom's not on a diet you know I'm not trying to yeah. Get myself skinny or yeah. I don't hate myself. This is just good for us all. Yeah. And I think when you can get to a place like that, it's not only sustainable, but it's like so much healthier mindset mm-hmm. for you and your kids. Mm-hmm. And I tell them, because, you know, there's so much talk around like good and bad foods and nothing's good or bad and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Um, but I heard something really good a couple of weeks ago. And that was like, there's sometimes foods and there's always foods. Yeah. And so my kids, you know, are like knee deep in their Halloween candy. And like every night it's like this battle of how many pieces they they can have. So I actually started turning it back on them. And I was like, well, how many do you think is like a reasonable amount? Because yeah. this is a sometimes food like, you know, and I kind of try to teach them a little bit about it. Um, but they usually pick like two pieces and I'm like, OK, reasonable. <laughs> right. Go, go have your two pieces, you know. Uh, but, you know, another sort of like trick that I I mean, my kids are kind of picky eaters. So I'm like not the one to be bragging about this by any means. But, but they're how old are your kids? We got six, four, and 18 months. So, I mean, you're kind of in that age where that's pretty common. <laughs> but, like, one way I try to sort of, um, you know, make sure that their plate's, like, like, somewhat healthy is, like, I make them, like, pick a fruit or a vegetable at every meal. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, not in, like, a neurotic, like, you know, obsessive way, but it's, like, these are foods that are going to make your tummy feel good. And, yeah. And you want your tummy, you know. And then, like, I mean, sometimes I'll talk to them about the gut-brain connection, but it's probably too much. But, uh, yeah. Well, you know. They're, yeah. They learn. I think yeah. they take in more of that yeah. than we realize. Yeah. I have a really crazy – so Halloween this year. Yeah. Uh, so my kids are a little older. So they're 13, almost 11, almost 9, almost 7. Well, all of our birthdays are, like, November, December for my kids. So everybody's, like, oh, yeah, yeah, at yeah. the cusp. Yeah. So I would say, kind of like you said, so there's all this, like, how you talk about – Yeah junk foods or that's even a naughty word you know if you get really into it it gets very sticky and definitely like through the years I feel like I had a lot more anxiety Mm -hmm. about like this Halloween candy which I mean we used to get 
I, I don't know. I think I kept it under under my bed in a pillowcase yeah. full of candy and went to town. But I don't know why. You know, I yeah. think it's just being in it. So when they were littler, I had a lot more anxiety. And it would be like, you know, everybody would ask, can we please have one? And you're like, maybe one, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. all along. And so um, this year, I kind of just made like a little bit more of a conscious choice. I think I loosened up on it over the years yeah. anyway. But this year, I was just like, I'm just going to not really intervene yeah and like on Halloween night they're all they still you know yeah, can I yeah. eat this can yeah. I do this I'm like do what you want do what you want yeah. so they're eating their little candies and I for, we were just chatting and my oldest is 13 and he was kind of like they, they sort them because that's yeah, a process yeah, of, course. of course you have to yeah. organize it and then he says to his brothers do you guys want my candy like I'm not gonna eat all this and I thought what? Like oh, I would yeah. never yeah. have given my candy to my yeah. brother, but I was just like, you know, I'm just still yeah. like observing. The last like pressure you put on around it. Like I see it all the time, especially in like in houses where like the parents are like, Oh, well, well we don't buy any of that stuff. Yeah. Like, it, like, and then I see those kids like, um, like then when, when they do get around it, it's like, they just go bananas. Totally. And so like, I d- I honestly try to keep like stuff in our house that's just like, you know the the sometimes foods because I'm like oh yeah, I I want them to have a relationship around it where it's not you know super restricted or super you know that's all we eat so yeah it's a it's for sure like a slippery sort of thing to navigate but hopefully we're well doing and okay. yeah totally so he so my my son was gonna give it all to his. <laughs> siblings and I was shocked but for some reason I just brought up I was like did you know that the dentist actually buys back candy but I was like but it's like a dollar a pound up to five pounds and I was like I don't think five dollars is enough for all of you yeah yeah, (laughs) you know thinking again to me I would be like there'd be no way I would have sold my candy for five dollars but my kids were they ended up long story short they end up all of them sold their all their Halloween candy to their grandpa they're like well I'll give it to grandpa for a dollar <laughs> and I just watched they sold all their Halloween candy part of it and I'm not trying to pretend like I, I think part of it stems from years back because there was a couple comments because mom won't let us eat this probably anyway and I was like still no comment and I was like that's on me yeah yeah but I was just thought it was very interesting because I think as parents are anxiety is that you know oh, you know if I don't control this mm-hmm. it's going to be a free-for-all and mm-hmm. I don't know what we think is exactly going to happen that yeah. all of our kids Halloween is going to give all our yeah. kids diabetes or yeah. something but you know it's it was all yeah. my anxiety and so I think just taking granted that went way crazier than I thought it was yeah. but I'm like I'm just gonna intentionally observe like yeah. what is their behavior yeah and turns out like it's me who really cared about the candy. Yeah. They just wanted to go through the process. Yeah. And because it isn't something that doesn't exist in their life, they weren't, they didn't feel like they had to hoard right. it. Right. Um, but I was shocked. So I thought that was just a four, all four yeah. of them. I thought at least there'd be one that was like, you all I'm are keeping. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, um, yeah, they ended up, it was like a not, a non thing. That is so funny. So I don't know that that will work on everyone, but I will say that like, I found it very interesting to see if I had intervened, they probably would have felt more of a need to like to keep it, hoard it yeah. and win, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Um. So the the one of the other things I did want to talk about was exercise for mental health. Mm-hmm. 
Can you talk to me a little bit about sort of your approach with that? Yeah. So, I mean, I just think exercise for me personally, no matter like, and I think the other important thing to think about in exercise is I have so many patients who are like, well, I don't feel like doing it. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like doing it 95% of the time, but I know that sort of the action then begets the motivation and then it circles versus motivation, then action. So for me, it's just sort of like this non-negotiable thing that makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I sort of mix it up between running, um, spinning, and then I do some strength training too. Um, But I think like it's all important and there's another PhD, Kelly McGonigal, who has a book called The Joy of Movement and she really talks about like finding movement that you actually enjoy. If you Mm -hmm. hate, you know, the exercise you're currently doing, like find something that you actually enjoy because the movement, like it helps with our energy, it helps move it and it helps us show up like refreshed and ready to go. Um, I mean, there's so much good research but from... You know, it clears your mind to it helps with anxiety, depression, all of that. Um, I just think it's a really great tool that is often underutilized for mood. I totally agree. And I think, like you said, taking the approach where looking at something that you actually enjoy or at least don't hate, start there. Because I think it also, it will grow as it becomes more of a habit for you and you kind of get into it and it doesn't seem like such a chore. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right. There's a lot of people we, we torture ourselves. I ate this and now I have to run it off mm-hmm. or I have to do all mm-hmm. these things. Well, that's not the attitude to take. Yeah. And I think the other thing, especially for women, um, the strength training piece, mm-hmm. I think is huge. Um, I, I was late to that party. No, uh, <laughs> no, but I like in my thirties, I think my husband, we actually had Bill Esch on here. He's like a kettlebell yeah, yeah, yeah. champion. He used to own a gym and my husband was friends with him and we went to his gym and it was all like weights and like free weights and it was just totally out of my yeah comfort zone because I feel like when yeah, when I we, would ex- we we grew up in like cardio nation totally totally it's just run maybe the elliptical you know I could do the machines yeah. but it was like you want me to lift up like I'm yeah. gonna yeah hurt myself or I'm certainly gonna at least look super stupid yeah. because I have no idea what I'm doing but once once I did, once I kind of like was like, all right, yeah. I'm just going to bite the bullet and yeah. give this a try. Um, I mean, it's it's a probably one of the healthiest things you can mm-hmm. do um, just to for your bones. Yeah. And I think like you said, like we all thought we just have to do cardio, cardio, yeah. cardio, whereas like building that muscle, it not only is you know, good for helping you, you know, with your weight and how you want to look, but turns out like, I mean, I think in the long term, just that strength training is so good for you. And I actually think it's a huge mental like confidence booster too, when you don't feel not like I'm, you know, like whatever, a power lifter or anything, but you don't, when you feel stronger, I think that that says something. Yeah. I once read, like, you don't know how much you can, like, lift when when you show up that day. And so True. you go and you're like, oh, I I, I did that. Mm-hmm. And then it just, like, it's another one of those, like, sort of Tumblr effects. It's like, well, now that's becoming easy and I can do something. And, like, that directly correlates to, like, you feeling empowered yes. throughout your day. Because there's things out there 
where you are sitting here wondering like can i do xyz and yes you can and this is like one tool or like one sort of way that you know you are building that trust with yourself and you're building that confidence i love it well this has been incredible so fun i think i'm going to move on to our next segment so i have ask me anything which is really kind of ask you anything too so we have some questions um ask me anything i'm going to uh so this one is from Alyssa. it says i have tried to meditate so many times and i just can't seem to stick with it or really find the benefit are there alternatives to traditional meditation that can reap similar benefits so i think you know like meditation mindfulness all of that stuff gets thrown around so much right now and i think what like no one else or like no one is really talking about is like when you first start to meditate, it's like all the chatter. Like you are like, oh my God, I have so many thoughts. And you like never even knew that was happening. Mm-hmm. And then the second like sort of layer becomes um, like that, just like the the lists that pop in your head. And, you know, it's like this never ending like thought loop. And I think what, so I think people quit at those like stages mm-hmm. but I think if you can get deeper if you can really like get embodied so like we aren't just meditating to meditate like imagine yourself like in your body while you're doing this and stick with it because eventually you get to like sort of that inner wisdom like that inner guide that inner like knowing of where you take up space of like what's true for you mm-hmm. uh, and so I've been where she's been where it's like, well, <laughs> I just like this, this is not working, but I would encourage her to keep with a daily practice. I really like, um, insight timer is a free app. Um, and they have thousands of meditations. So if she needs guided, if she needs, um, visualization, like there's so many different kinds of meditation as well. So I would also just encourage you to, um, to like experiment with it and see mm-hmm. like which ones you like, which ones you don't like. And then, you know, I, I like to tell people, start with 10 minutes a day, start with five minutes a day, start with where you will do it. But, um, also like increase that because the longer sort of like deeper you go into that, like the more like Delta brain waves, like you get into that deep state of relaxation where, um, it just becomes that inner knowing versus all the thoughts. Yeah. I would say, I mean, again, like I think Thinking of previous versions of myself where, you know, I was like, well, meditation is good for you. I'm going to do it. I totally relate to this where it was like, okay, well, all I did was sit here and like think about stuff. And then at the end, I'm like, oh, I'm bad at this. So now I feel bad about this. And so you don't stick with it. And I wasn't really like, I don't really see how this is helping me. Yeah. I think all I did was worry about all the things I had to do today. And I know, you know, you're supposed to recognize that and move it away. And that would last like a third of a second something else um but and I don't know if this is helpful and I never really have I don't know if there's a if there's a hard line between meditation and mindfulness or I mean I think those kind of overlap but um I I was kind of like I just don't think that's for me and uh I have a therapist he said I see and he said you know just do nothing just sit for 20 minutes and do nothing. And you were like, and that was my assignment, which of course, right. I was like, (laughs) he's like, how does that sound? I was like, that sounds frightening. Like, yeah, but I was like, all right, fine. And that to me was actually during that 
process, that was the best thing I could have done. And I was like, wait a minute, is mindfulness just noticing things? And he was like, yay, good job. (laughs) It was like, because I just sat like outside and I was like, I didn't even know that that was in my backyard. Like I just looked around and was like, I'm just going to watch the birds. Like, birds are crazy, by the way. Oh, like, I know. how do they know? I don't how do they know. all fly they together like, swoop, like that? Yeah. I was like, like, that is amazing. Do all these things. I know. <laughs> so it sounds ridiculous, but I was like, ah, I think this is it. And the scariest part is when you realize how much you're not in that mode. Oh, yeah. Uh, the rest of your day. Yeah. And so to me, I don't know if this helps people, but for me, it was like, if you're struggling with like this effort to be mindful and to meditate and do all these things, try doing nothing and just noticing things. I was like, I can that, I can do that. And now it, I mean, it's not like I go through my whole day, like, you know, noticing the dew on the grass and all these things. But what I have been able to hone is that skill to click that on. Like I can be like, oh, I'm going to just notice dinner. I'm just going to notice and maybe it won't sustain for that. But I now recognize, like I intentionally can have those moments through the day. And once I realized how that wasn't how I was operating 99.9% of the time, I started to realize like, oh, this really does have a ton of value. Yeah. And I think also like wash the dishes to wash the dishes like don't wash them to get to the next task like brush your teeth to brush your teeth um and one last thing I would add here is like if she really feels like she's struggling I would certainly consider seeking out like a meditation like teacher or someone who's like been trained in it just to help her get off the ground because meditation is really like a very like deep embodied inquiry about where you feel what and what it's telling you and if you don't sort of like have that guide I think it can be difficult to get into it mm-hmm. I can see that and I think the other thing is I think at first when you're struggling and again I'm no like expert by any means but I think it's easy to feel like it's a waste of time until you start to recognize those moments and you go oh these are like the only times really yeah like they're yeah. the only times Nothing I'm awake for right yeah. So I don't, I would say it's worth finding what works for you, but recognizing that this is normal and maybe you're just haven't found your mode. Yeah. So don't keep beating your head, telling yourself you have to do something that's not working for you. Seek something else out where you get, start to get that feeling and that state of mind. Absolutely. Okay. This one. All right. So this is from Kelly. I am a busy mom and feeding myself in the morning is hard when I'm trying to get kids and myself out the door. What is your go-to breakfast? Okay, so we are transitioning to fall and winter right now. Ooh, yes we are. So I've been making an oatmeal bake with um, pears and apples. That's like really good. And then I put like a dollop of um, Greek yogurt vanilla on top. And it's basically like apple crisp and kind of ice cream, but not. Uh, so do you bake that like that morning or do you, I've been making it on the weekends and then like I have it all week to eat. Just Uh, warm it up. Yeah. 
Nice. So that's what I love in the fall and winter because I also care about eating one in season because it tastes better. And two, I like to be warm as we covered (laughs) earlier. So in the summer, I might do more like smoothies or I'll do it. Oh, I also love a good breakfast quesadilla. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, but yeah, anything that's quick and easy. And on the days that like, you know, <laughs> everything else has gotten to you and you don't have the oatmeal bake, like grab a protein bar and, a, you know, a apple or, you know, yeah, like get your protein, get your fruits and veggies. Totally. Yeah. I would say that's, I'm much more of a, I do like sweets, but I'm much more of like a savory mm. person. Mm-hmm. So that's where like sometimes with the breakfasts, um, the easy breakfasts are usually sweet, like prepackaged easy breakfasts. Um, so I think I actually posted this on my Instagram, but my like big go-to is like on Sunday to do like a sheet pan of roasted vegetables, mm-hmm. which makes me feel like I'm really doing something oh, so yeah. easy. Like yeah. you just cut it and like throw yeah, it in there and exactly. like, so it just bake, roast all these vegetables and then I put them in little containers and that's not that hard. And then to just do like, um, I just warm that up and do like over easy eggs. Oh yeah. So good. It takes like really no time. Yeah. And it's, it makes me feel like I'm getting fancy brunch. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm like, this should be on a menu. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I love it. Um, I love breakfast and so you know like that sounds delicious costco has these like delicious chicken sausages and they're frozen section so i will make those sometimes with eggs and then throw them in uh like breakfast quesadilla with oh some, yeah quesadillas are big with like a bowl of fruit so for good. like that one my kids are not as excited about my bowl of vegetables with eggs in the morning you know but uh occasionally but yeah. not not like i yeah, am yeah 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 um but i will say the quesadilla is the hands down award winner and like you can stick stuff from dinner anything chicken steak beef whatever I'll stick that in there and that one even my 13 year old will eat I also tell people don't sleep on beans so like black beans pinto beans like oh yeah throw them in just stuff it in so I like it well thank you Molly this has been super fun yeah it was so fun I love it and thanks again for tuning in to another episode of feeding the family We hope that you'll hit that subscribe button wherever you watch or listen to your podcasts and join us again next week for another great episode.